you would take your Bibles and please turn to Matthew chapter 7. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. We'll read together verses 7 through 11. We do look forward in this service to celebrating the communion table, meeting our Lord in the context of the Lord's Supper. I hope that in its own way this sermon will prepare us for that ordinance and our remembrance of our Lord's death together, our seeking him in the context of communion. Let's read together Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I want to pray and ask for God's blessing on our consideration of his word this morning. I also want to pray for our brother Johnny Harris. Uh, Johnny is preaching this morning at Germantown Baptist Church in Germantown. Uh, sister congregation there, Philip Krause, the pastor of that church, a dear brother, uh, he reached out to me late in the week. They uh, needed a, a preacher. The preacher they had fell through. Uh, Phil is out of town. And uh, Johnny was very eager to step in and fill that role. We want to pray that the Lord blesses our brother as he ministers the word. Uh, he'll be preaching on Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. And we want to pray that the Lord anoints our brother and helps him as he ministers the word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truths of those songs that are in our minds now, the truths that Scott rehearsed in his prayer to you, uh, his reminders to us of your pardon that you will give to all those who turn to you looking for mercy. You'll receive us and you'll save us. Uh, it's only with that hope that we could ever come to you. We come head to toe in our sins and failings, covered in frailty and neediness and weakness, in you is all sufficiency. In you is all grace. In you is everything we lack. And so we come to you. We're coming to you now in the context of preaching. We pray that you would minister to us. We would even in this sermon take the posture of the text we're considering. The, task, the, the, the posture of those who would ask of you and seek you and knock that the door might be opened to us. Help us as we consider your word this morning. Awaken our minds and make our souls alive to the truth as it's revealed in this passage. We pray that you would assist and help and anoint our brother Johnny Harris uh, as he and Lakin are there at Germantown Baptist. We pray that you would help him to speak as the oracles of God. We pray that he would speak as he ought. We pray that he would minister the word to that congregation with love in his heart for those people, with love for your flock in that place. We pray that your name would be exalted in his preaching. We pray that the saints of God there would come to appreciate more and more through their consideration of John 17, how great your love is for your sheep. And we pray, Father, for any there that are outside of Christ, they would see your love as bright and attractive. They would see it as something that is theirs if they would, but come to Jesus in repentance and faith. 
Bless our brother in his ministry there and strengthen the bonds between us and Germantown Baptist Church. Help us now as we consider your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In the last 30 or 40 years, uh, there has emerged in the evangelical world, at least in America, uh, a movement among churches uh, often referred to as the seeker-sensitive movement. Maybe you've heard of the seeker-sensitive movement. That term is sometimes used in positive ways in certain circles and negative ways in other circles. Uh, In that movement, a seeker, seeker seeker-sensitive, a seeker, is identified as a lost person who is willing or perhaps may be induced to become willing uh, to attend church and to hear the gospel. Uh, As a movement, the seeker-sensitive movement endeavors to organize and orient the church largely toward lost people, uh, which influences how the church organizes its worship gatherings, again, oriented toward the lost. It influences maybe the musical styles that they choose in their services, how leaders may dress, how they may talk, what the content of the church's preaching will be, what programs the church's uh, resource or promote. I'm not going to attempt a critique of the seeker-sensitive movement this morning, though I think there is much to be critiqued about the movement, what I'd like to do is simply make an observation about the language that defines the movement. Uh, We often think of seekers, in our context today, as lost people uh, who are looking, or perhaps have been encouraged to start looking, to Jesus for salvation and new birth. We think of a seeker, somebody's seeking salvation, seeking Jesus, asking questions, open to investigating the faith. We'll think of seekers often in that way. And that's not altogether inappropriate if we speak of someone in that way of thinking as a kind of seeker. The Bible will sometimes speak of seekers or seeking in that way. What should you do if you're here this morning and you're seeking answers to life's questions or you're seeking to understand is the Christian faith really true? If you're seeking to understand what all the hype is about and why these people here sing like they do about the things we just sung about, uh, I would encourage you, you're in the right place and you should continue seeking. And if you seek the Lord, you will find him. If you seek out Christ and the gospel, he will be yours and you will attain and you will have him. What you should do is seek Jesus and come to Jesus. But what I want us to appreciate this morning for the purposes of this sermon is that the verb to seek and other verbs like it are very often used in the Bible with reference to those of us who have already trusted in the Lord but are nonetheless still seeking him. They are seeking him For many reasons, these types of seekers, seekers like us, they seek the Lord in order to enjoy a deeper relationship with him. Uh, They seek him for greater growth and holiness and godliness. They seek him for greater experiences of his promises. They seek him in order to bring their particular burdens and petitions to him in prayer. Uh, Therefore, recognizing the Bible often speaks of seekers in this way, it is appropriate for us to think of ourselves, indeed we should think of ourselves as the children of God, as seekers. We are those, according to Scripture, who seek after the Lord and who seek greater experiences of His love and blessing and fellowship. It's not in the sense that we seek week after week what we've already attained, like in the new birth or justification by faith. We're not seeking new birth from God if we've already been born again or justification for the first time or something like that. But we do seek God in the sense that we as God's people seek after greater closeness to the Lord a greater conformity to his will for us, and a greater experience of his promises and their fulfillment in our lives. So I just ask, I mean, do you view yourself that way, Christian? 
I'm a seeker after God. Or is all that seeking just in the past? I, I, I was seeking when I was lost, and then I found the Lord, and I, I don't seek anymore in that way. The Bible would encourage us to think of ourselves as Christians, as the children of God, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as those who seek after the Lord, who continue to seek, continue to ask, continue to knock. And this is what our passage this morning is clearly talking about. There is in this passage, we learn, something to be sought after, and it is to be sought by the Lord's disciples. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is not primarily an evangelistic sermon to a gathering of lost people. Uh, It does bring the gospel to us in various ways, but it's especially to disciples of Jesus, those who are already following Jesus, instructing them in how they're to follow the Lord. What does it look like to be a disciple of Christ and a citizen of his kingdom? And so these words in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, are given to those who already trust in Christ, who already follow the Lord, who already have been born again and who believe on him. It's given to them as the Lord's disciples, as citizens of the kingdom, as the children of God. And this passage, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, is a call to the children of God, we here who are Christians, to earnestly and persistently ask for, seek after, pursue, and strive for the good things from God that he is ready to give his children who seek him. Four points this morning to organize our time, okay? And there are four questions. Uh, We want to consider first, we want to ask, seek what? Secondly, seek how. Thirdly, seek why. Fourthly, seek whom. Easy enough to follow? Seek what? Seek how? Seek why? Seek whom? We want to ask these questions of this passage. Consider with me, first of all, seek what? What are we to seek from God? Look again, if you would, at Matthew 7, verse 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, or to the one who knocks, excuse me, it will be opened. Uh, so maybe you noticed that we mainly just have verbs in those verses. Verses 7 and 8 do not state, but rather assume, the object of our asking, our seeking, our knocking. You read those verses, they ask for what? I'm to ask, I'm to seek, I'm to knock. For what? What are we after here? It says everyone who asks will be given, seeks, will find. What am I finding? What will I be given? The door will be open to what? It's not stated in these verses. It's simply assumed. What are the things we're to be asking for and seeking after and knocking to gain access to? But I think the end of verse 11 is going to give us a clue as to what we're to seek. We read in verse 11, so Jesus that illustrates what asking, seeking, knocking looks like. And at the end of verse 11, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Ah, is that the object of my asking, my seeking, my knocking? To gain good things from God. I think that's obviously so, but we might want to ask still, what are the good things that we're to ask for, to seek after, to strive for, to knock that we might gain access to them? What are the good things that Jesus is talking about? There are a few possible interpretations. It could be good things as defined by us. 
And we could understand the good things to be literally anything we want. Anything that we assess to be good. A new house, a new car, a healthier marriage, the achievement of our fitness goals, more sexual pleasure, more money, better health. This is good. This is something to be had. And I'm therefore going to ask God for it. And this text tells me that he will give it. Well, obviously, that's not the meaning here. Jesus has already called us in this sermon. In Matthew 6, 19, the text that Pastor Brad preached a few weeks ago, he's already told us that we're to eschew the treasures on earth. These good things are not earthly pleasures or whatever we might dream up or consider to be good ourselves. This passage should not be understood. It's important that we all get this, especially young people. Really important that you understand this. This passage is not a blank check upon which we can write in all of our individual wants and desires without reference to the word of God. It's not like a blank check we, we sign, okay, I want a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a well-ordered family, a good-paying job, and, and, and here it is. Here's the check, Lord. You said, if I ask for good things, you'll give me good things. But friends, I hope you can see that would turn God into a kind of genie and prayer more or less into like a magic lamp. Uh, fill in the blank with whatever you think you want, whatever you think is good, whatever would bless your life, and God will give it to you. I don't think that's at all what Jesus is talking about here. God never promises that he will give us whatever we assess to be good for ourselves. God defines the good things, not us. And I think some of us need to hear this. Uh, When you read that God gives good things to his children, don't think that means anything I think up that would be good. Maybe take away some of the more kind of carnal worldly pleasures. Maybe just things you think are are good. I I would love a better marriage. I, I would love greater health in my relationship with my husband or wife. There might be families here that I would so love a child, uh, to have children. Oh, I would, I, would, I would so love to be able to make more money that I might provide for my family and give more money to the church. Well, God, friends, never promises us those things. We might assess them to be good things, but he doesn't say these are the good things that we are promised to gain if we seek God. And I say that for your benefit and blessing, I hope, because Some folks will come to a passage like this and they'll read very simply without any heed to the context, whoever asks receives, and then they'll pray for things that they're not getting and then they'll become spiritually burned out. And they'll begin to judge the character of God. And they'll begin to assess that he doesn't actually keep his promises, that he's not benevolent and good, and that he doesn't do what it is that he's pledged to do. Well, Jesus never did pledge to do this, that, or the other thing you can think of for yourself necessarily. And that's not what this text is after. Okay, another possible interpretation of the good things, it could just be any good thing in the Bible. Okay, so I'm not thinking about worldly things, treasures on earth, carnal pleasures, but the Bible's full of good things. And could it be that when Jesus says, God will give good things to those who ask, I can go anywhere in the Bible, pick out a good thing somewhere, and give it to God with the confidence and the trust. He will give it to me. Surely he will. He is oath-bound. He is pledged to do this thing for me. Some people will interpret it that way. Uh, So, for example, the Bible does say uh, a man who finds a wife has found a good thing. Uh, The Bible does say children are a heritage from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord. Does that, though, amount to a promise that God will give marriage to all of his children? Or that he will give children to all of those who worship and follow him? No, not at all. Certainly marriage is a good thing. Certainly children are a gift from the Lord. But God in no wise is promising that every single good gift that's ever been mentioned in the Bible is going to be given to those who seek it. 
I don't think we have license here just to find any good thing in the Bible and say, well, let me plug that into the prayer and God will give me the thing that I ask. Does it mean you shouldn't ask for those good things? But I don't think it's what Jesus is talking about in this text, and that's what we're after. What are the good things he has in mind? What he tells us, he assures us, God will give these things to you. Personally, I would see Jesus as referring to something much more specific when he refers to these good things. Remember, this is a sermon, a collected, united sermon in Matthew 5 through 7, and that's the immediate context in which he's making this statement. And the Gospel of Matthew is kind of the larger context. This statement from Jesus is given in a context in this Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus, I think, is saying is that all these good things I've been talking to you about in this sermon, the promises that I have made in this sermon, the kingdom way that is opened up to you and the new life and the new righteousness that is being held forth to you, the promise of inheriting the earth and of seeing God and of being satisfied, uh, the promises of having pleasures and treasures in heaven at Christ's right hand, these things that I'm holding forth to you disciples, God will give them to you if you seek them. It is the good things of the kingdom, the good things of the Sermon on the Mount. And what have those good things been? If you have been with us in this series, or if you're familiar with reading the Sermon on the Mount, hopefully you know what the good things are that are held out in the sermon itself. Think of these disciples, these men who are sitting before him. He's really opening up a whole new world for them. He's telling him there's a new way of life that can be yours. It is the way of the kingdom. And you can live according to new virtues. It's a path of righteousness you can walk in that I will help you to walk in as a teacher to disciples. And he's telling them about a new kind of righteousness they could have that is so much better than the sham righteousness of their scribes and Pharisees. He says, indeed, there's a deeper righteousness, a greater righteousness, and you can have it. It can be yours. You can live this way. More than that, he tells them they could enter into a new kind of relationship with God. They can know God on the terms of the greatest intimacy and tenderness and love. They can know God as their own father. More references to God as father in the Sermon on the Mount than the entire Old Testament. Jesus is introducing something new. Here's a new way you can know God in this way, on these terms. You imagine the disciples just dazzled by this, amazed by this. What a good thing to know God and to have this access to him, to experience his affection and tenderness toward me as a dear child. And I'm, I'm given as a matter of birthright, new birthright, access to my father in this way. But what's more than that, Jesus also in the sermon, as we have seen, has been holding out various promises Oh, what does he say? He says, to those who are poor in spirit, they will inherit the earth. For those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be satisfied. For those who are pure in heart, they will see God. Precious promises. I'm going to be given the world to come, the kingdom of heaven, treasures in heaven. I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to have my heart delighted. I'm going to see God. Jesus is saying, if you seek me, if you ask for these things, you will have them. These are the good things that the Lord himself pledges and promises. What I want us to appreciate is that the Sermon on the Mount, as a sermon, as the Lord's kingdom manifesto, his kingdom agenda, is holding out to each one of us this whole package and constellation of blessings and promises and incentives. There's this whole new world, a new way of being and living, and Jesus is saying, my Father will give all of this to you. If you ask, 
If you seek, if you knock, what I have been talking about may be yours. He promises he will give the good things of the kingdom to those who ask of it. It's a pledge. If you are pure in heart, you will see God. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be satisfied. No one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness will be disappointed. If you go to God poor in spirit, mourning over sin, penitent, humble, contrite, he will receive you. And you will inherit the earth. And you will be given the kingdom of heaven. If you come to Jesus Christ, you come to God now as his child, he'll receive you as his father and you'll know God in that way. That's what Jesus means when he tells us those who ask will be given. Given what? These good things I've been talking about. Those who seek will find. Will find what? The kingdom, life that I have been offering to you. Those who knock will gain access to what? All of these precious promises that I've been laying forth. This new relationship with God. This new righteousness that is held out to those who would follow Christ. Jesus is saying the kingdom is yours if you seek it. All the good things I've been describing in this sermon of life in the kingdom of heaven, they're yours if you want them. And maybe Jesus is putting that to these men now. His followers. Those who are the children of God. Do you want this righteousness? Is it attractive to you? When I reveal to you in the Beatitudes these virtues and this way of being, to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be a peacemaker, was that attractive to you? Do you want that? Do you want to live that way? And do you want the promises and the rewards and the blessings that I'm willing to give? Do you want the kingdom? If you don't have it, it will not be on account of my father's unwillingness. He delights to give this to his children. If you will but come to him and seek him, you will have it. And now I just put it to your conscience, members of Emmanuel Church who have been with us in this series. I just ask you, as we have been talking about in these weeks, what the kingdom of heaven actually is. Does it appear lovely to you? Do you want to be meek? Do you want righteousness that is better than the superficial self-righteousness of Pharisees? Are you so caught up and, and sort of encumbered by the treasures on earth that your view of treasures in heaven have been obscured? As we've been talking about these things and the promises, oh, the promises. Have they been what your heart aches for and what it desires? is what Jesus is telling us beautiful and lovely and worth seeking after and asking for. These are the good things of the kingdom. Things Jesus has held out in this sermon. All right, seek what? It is the good things of the kingdom, all the good things held out for us in the Sermon on the Mount, especially these virtues, this righteousness, this new relationship with God as Father, and the promises that will be ours if we seek him. Point number two, seek how? Seek what? Secondly, seek how. How are we to go about seeking? What does Jesus mean when he invites us to ask, seek, and knock? What sorts of actions, behaviors, dispositions, and attitudes should be in our minds when we hear Jesus invite us to ask, seek, and knock? I'm to seek God. What does that look like? If I played it out on a video or something like that, if I outlined it, 
What does seeking God actually look like? What is asking, knocking? What what does this look like? Well, there are at least a few things that should be in our minds. Uh, First of all, I think very obviously, it begins with prayer. It begins with prayer. Asking, seeking, knocking begins with going to God personally in prayer and asking him for the very things that we seek. And that's where Jesus goes when he illustrates this. He says, ask, seek, knock, whoever asks uh, will have what he asks for, whatever uh, he seeks, he will find, whatever he knocks for, the door will be open to him. And then he pictures for us what at least asking might look like. Verse 9, he says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So we see here from the word go, there is no seeking after God that doesn't involve to us going to him personally as children to a father and asking him for these things. Do you want to know God better? Do you want to walk in greater holiness and righteousness? Do you want to experience more on an existential level these precious promises God's been holding out to us? It starts with asking God for those things. God, I I want to know you like the Sermon on the Mount tells me I can know you. I want to live in the security and the stability and the warmth of relationship the Sermon on the Mount talks about. I don't want to live in anxiety and worry and fear. I want to live like the birds and the flowers of the field, even better than that, knowing that my heavenly Father cares about me more than them. I want to live in that way. God, would you help me to live in that way? I don't think we could say all day long that we're seeking after God and we're waiting on the Lord, but if we are not going to him consistently in prayer for the things we're seeking after, I don't think that can be taken seriously. It begins with going to God and asking him for these things, a nearer walk with Christ, greater holiness, more joy in our salvation, more Christ-likeness, more of an awareness of him as our father. But I want us to appreciate Though asking, seeking, and knocking certainly does not entail less than prayer. I mean, it begins with prayer. It doesn't entail less than prayer. It does, I think, entail more than prayer. What does seeking look like? It starts with prayer, but I think there's more to it than that. This asking, this seeking, and this knocking requires, secondly, a true-hearted commitment to pursue the life laid out to us in this Sermon on the Mount. Am I pursuing this life that's being held out to. I'm not just praying for it. I'm living like it. Living according to the Lord's precepts, according to his commandments, seeking to embody the virtues that he has laid forth, seeking to live according to the principles that he gives to me. This asking, this seeking, and this knocking involves our resolve, our commitment to pursue this whole life that is presented to us in this sermon. I become determined I become fixed. I become resolved. I'm going to live this way. Jesus is showing me the path of righteousness, and I'm going to walk on that path. I'm going to live according to his precepts. I'm going to have in my mind these beautiful and precious pictures he puts in my mind to help me to understand what my relationship with him is to be like and what his love for me is like. I'm living now for the world to come. I'm bent on attaining the blessings and promises that Jesus holds out to me in this sermon. I'm living for treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth, and I'm striving for them. I'm reaching for them. I want to have them, and I'm seeking them in good faith and good conscience. I am living for this kingdom. You see, this this 
begins to influence uh, not just what we are like with God in prayer, but how we live in the day-to-day moments of our lives. What does it look like for a person who is determined to live according to the Sermon on the Mount? What does it look like for them to do that? Well, it involves conscious decisions they make, conscious habits and disciplines that they form. They remove certain influences from their mind and heart, and they draw other influences closer. They make conscious decisions about where their feet will go and what their eyes will look at. They make conscious decisions about what entertainments they will allow themselves to engage in. They make conscious decisions about how they will organize their life and their relationships and their money and their time. Seeking after God requires a whole new life lived in reaching for the goals of the kingdom, the promises that Jesus holds out in this passage. Now, there's a further point that must be emphasized here. It starts with prayer. It involves a whole life lived, committed to these ideals Jesus is holding out to us. But there's a point here that must be appreciated under this point. Seek how? How do we seek? A crucial point that must be emphasized if we're to understand what Jesus has in view here with these commands. Note the call to ask, to seek, and to knock is a call to a kind of persistence, a kind of active pursuit. These verbs in the original language are emphatic, they're placed right at the start of the sentence. They are present tense active imperatives. The idea with these verbs is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The people of God, the people who seek him and the good things he gives are persistent. They don't stop. They're indefatigable. They don't relent. They don't yield. They're indomitable. They're pursuing. They're sticking to the course. I ask and I ask and I ask and I seek and I seek and I seek and I knock and I knock and I knock and I don't stop. This is in many ways the whole Christian life. It's a quest for God. A journey to know him, to walk in the ways that he calls me to. It's seeking after him and his kingdom. So what Jesus is telling us in this passage is to seek and don't stop. Pursue this life, this righteousness, this relationship with God, these promises that he holds out for you. Pursue these good things and keep on pursuing them and the promises you will attain them. Seek the Lord and don't stop seeking him. There's an aspect of our kind of contemporary spirituality that we can sort of buy into that is just allergic to like waiting on the Lord. Allergic to endurance and perseverance and persistence. Someone said, we we are on a weight loss diet as evangelicals, not W-E-A-I-G-H-T, but a W-A-I-T. We don't want to wait for nothing. If I don't have the thing I ask right away, If I'm not as holy as I want to be now, well, then I just sort of burn out. Friends, just consider the biblical pattern. Consider the creation. We've been waiting for things all the time. The greatest gains in godliness and in redemptive history and even in the creation. You want to see grass grow? You plant a seed in the ground and it takes a few years, right? Things take time. Those who actually attain the things that God is promising in this sermon, their whole lives change. It's not like a momentary wish or passing thought. I'm going to ask for this. It's a whole life bent and a persistent prayer pattern and life pattern of pursuing God. And what you will find if you seek righteousness, you seek relationship with God, 
You seek a greater experience of his love. You will attain these things, but it will take time. You must ask and not stop asking. You must seek and not stop seeking. You must pursue. You must strive. You must persist. You must endure. And God will give you what you ask for. Uh, Our brother Rex used the illustration a couple weeks ago about the athlete. Athlete wants the prize to hoist the trophy or whatever his goal is or to play in a certain way and achieve a certain performance or something like that. Changes their diet. Changes when they wake up in the morning, what time they put into their alarm clock, changes all kinds of things. Yo-Yo Ma didn't learn to play the cello as he does and experience the joys, the piquant joys that he experiences without adopting a whole life of pursuing the cello. Well, friends, how greater is the joy that is found in knowing the Lord? in knowing communion and fellowship and depth of intimacy with him, of having the pleasures that are found at his right hand forevermore, of having heaven and eternal life, of having a near walk with God, these things may be ours if we seek after him, if we ask for these things, if we knock that the door might be opened to us. All right, we've asked two questions. Seek what? Secondly, seek how? Consider with me. Thirdly, seek why? Seek why? Why seek? Why ask? Why knock? Why does Jesus say we should seek God and the good things he gives? We are to seek God and the good things he gives because of what is promised. Now, what is promised to those who ask, seek, and knock? Very simple. Jesus says, verse 8, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. We're told it's a promise. Those who seek will find. They will attain. They will be successful in laying hold of the good things they seek. Remember, this is not seeking a Mercedes-Benz. This is not seeking a better marriage. This is seeking after a life lived in conformity to this sermon. This is seeking after the promises that God will give to delight our hearts in his love. This is seeking after a relationship with God as Father and experiencing the warmth of relationship that we're meant to experience with Him. This is seeking the kingdom and the kingdom way that He holds out to us. And Jesus tells us, these good things that are on offer, all those who ask for them will have them. All those who seek and keep seeking will have them. All those who knock, I'm going to open the door wide open. You want kingdom life? You want the Beatitudes? You want human flourishing? It's all there for you. You can have it. If you seek it. Friends, listen, no one who truly wants righteousness will fail to attain it. No one who diligently and sincerely pursues closeness with God will be rejected. No one who truly comes to him poor in spirit, truly humble and contrite, truly hungering after God and his kingdom will finally be put off. No one who longs for heaven will be disappointed. Some of you are here this morning and you struggle with the assurance of your salvation. And you long for a greater assurance of God's love. Well, seek the Lord and he will be found. You want to know him more and more as your father? I want to walk and live in the prevailing awareness. I don't want to be of the clouds of my anxiety and fear over me. I want to see the son of the father's love for me as promised in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Go to the father. Ask him. Seek him. Pray to him. Adapt your life to put yourself more so in the pathway 
of blessing and the pathway of the means of grace. Be in the word day by day. Seek him in the context of Christian fellowship, in the context of gathered worship. Go to God, and the promise is, if you seek these good things held out to us in this sermon, he will give it to you. It's a sure and certain promise. Sam, I'm so disappointed, so disillusioned by my many failings as a disciple. And I want to be more righteous and more holy and more godly. I want to overcome sin in new ways. I want to be more like the Lord Jesus. What is the promise of Matthew 5, 6? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What? For they shall be satisfied. They'll have it. I just talk to people all the time who are talking about their desire for a nearer walk with God. And they will talk a lot about how they want to grow as Christians. I've been doing the things, I've been seeking the Lord. And you'll, you'll begin to ask them, oh, tell me about your private worship. Tell me about your quiet time, your devotions. Well, I've been kind of inconsistent lately, miss a lot. Uh, two, maybe three days a week, I'm able to get a little verse. And, you know. Tell me about your prayer life. Well, I kind of find it hard to pray. Um, I get up you know, really early in the morning, I go to the gym, and then you know, I'm thinking about work, my phone's kind of talking to me, and so I try, to, I try to find windows, you know, but it's kind of spotty, kind of inconsistent. Fred, what do you think seeking God looks like? It's not being scrappy in your day-to-day to find pockets. It's organizing your whole life to be bent on knowing and pursuing God and coming to Him as He's called us to come to Him. Oh, and to those who do come to him in this way, seek after him in this way, pray to him in this way. He's telling us it's all there for you. If you would but knock and keep knocking, I would open the door to you. You want to have victory over your lust, over your anger, over your impulse to retaliate, over your sinful anxiety? There's a way forward. It's prescribed to us in this sermon. We can pursue faithfulness to God and we can pursue his help and an experience of his presence and his promises. I'll give it to you. You can have it all. If you want the Beatitudes, they're yours. But you must ask and not stop asking. You must seek and not stop seeking. You must knock and not stop knocking. This is categorically true. If you sincerely, humbly, and diligently seek after God, you will find him and you will have him. If you sincerely, humbly, and diligently pursue holiness and righteousness, you will have it. He who hungers and thirsts after righteousness will be satisfied. God does not hold his children off from the good things that they seek and that he freely offers to them. My Christian friend, if you find yourself lacking in these things, seek them. If you're lacking in holiness, seek it. If you want to live more for the world to come and the treasures in heaven and not for the treasures on earth, ask God to help you. If you're lacking in nearness to God and in an awareness and sweetness of the experience of having him and knowing him as your heavenly father, seek him as such. And he'll disclose himself to you in this way. Seek him and don't stop seeking him. Persist. He who diligently seeks the good things that God has for his children will have them, he will attain them. Claim the promise of a Jeremiah 29, 13, where the Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
That's meant to be a sure and certain promise. If you lack in holiness, if you lack in nearness to God, if you lack in seeking to reach forward to those promises that are held out to us, the lacking is not the result of God's unwillingness to give it to you. His sure promise is he will give it to you. You say it's been so personally helpful to me, precious to me, in my own Christian life to know that if I don't have in my own experience these promises, I would see God, I would know Him, that I would have Him as my Father. It's been so encouraging to me to know I can always begin again. I can always seek Him and He will be found. I can always start over with Him. If I don't have in my own experience the richness of a Christian walk with Jesus in all the ways I want it, I can go to Him and I can have it and I can start over. My friend, if you come here this morning spiritually dry, you've trusted in Christ, you believe you know the Lord, but you're not experiencing the sweetness of relationship as it's described in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know Him in the ways I want to know Him. And not living as I want to live. Just rip out all the pages and start. Day one starts today. You can always restart with God. You can always have a new day. Every day could be a new day. Lord, I've not sought you as I know I should. I've not asked for these things as I should. I want to pursue you now. It's not like the offer expires. Seek me and you'll be found if you do it in the first year of your Christian life. And then I will you know, be done. No. If you're here this morning and you don't know God as you want to, I'm talking to Christians here. You, you've not, maybe, you're, maybe you're far advanced in years. You think I, sh- I should have had more of the fullness of the kingdom life at a much earlier stage. Well, there's no going backwards, but praise God you can go forwards with Jesus, with these promises. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you ask, you will have. If you knock, I'm always ready to open the door. Seek the Lord now, and you will find him. Fourth and final question, and then we'll transition to the table. Seek what? Seek how? Seek why? Seek whom? Who is this God we're seeking? And what is he like toward those who seek him? What is the, his disposition toward them? Well, we know we're seeking God, but but what is he like? Look at verse 8. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is not simply trying to tell us what God will do if we seek him. He wants to tell us who the God is who we seek, what he's like, what's his disposition, what's his nature, what's his heart, who are we coming to? And again, we see Jesus wants us to know we are coming to a most loving and tender father who delights in his children. It's so much better, apparently, than earthly fathers. Look again at the verse Verse 9, or which one of you, this is appealing to our common sense, 
Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? It's not just not giving him a thing he asked for. It's like mocking your son. I'll give you a rock. I'll give you a lump of coal. What heartless, cruel, nasty father would do that? Or if he asked for a fish, will he give him a serpent? And I love this. If you then, who are evil, that's us. That's some drive-by theology there. That's the doctrine of total depravity. If you, you're evil. Let's, let's just face it. Uh, you're not uh, the spitting image of your father and what you ought to be. If you who are evil even know how to do this, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, our sense of who God is, of what his character is like, will influence the way we come to him. My sense of what God is like will affect my prayer life. My sense of what God is like will affect the way I receive sermons like this one. My sense of what God is like will affect what's in my mind when I come to the communion table. My sense of what God is like will influence how I seek him. And Jesus thinks, well, let me, let me tell you what he's like. He's a tender father, ready to receive. He wants you to ask. He wants you to seek. He wants you to knock. Listen to what Don Carson says. He says, does God give these good things to his children begrudgingly? This is a question of considerable importance for we frame our requests in accordance with what we know of the character of the one whom we are addressing. The child with the kind, gentle, and firm father does not fear to ask him for things. But deep down he enjoys the assurance that his father will not give him something which greater wisdom and experience assesses as not in the child's best interests. The child with the extravagant but thoughtless father approaches him with arrogance, lays down his next demand knowing he will not be refused. The child with the stingy, ill-tempered, and abusive father will seldom ask for anything, fearing another meaningless beating. What's his point? Our sense of the underlying character of the one whom we approach will influence how we approach him, or even if we approach him. Jesus is telling us to seek God and to seek him as a particular God. A God who is a tender father who delights to give good things to his children. I love what Isaiah 49, 15 says. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Can the mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And you see what he's saying? Mothers nursing their babies don't forget the baby. But he's saying, sooner would a tender, loving mother forget the baby at her breast than I would forget you. Uh, mothers here in the church, uh, on Sunday mornings, I see your head is always on a swivel. I always know where your kids are. You'll be in conversation with me and you got that, you know, you just have that sense like a cat. You know where your kids are. You're not going to let them out of your sight. You're attentive. You're locked in. You love that precious child. You're going to make sure they're okay. You're going to care for them. What the Lord is saying is sooner would that mother who loves her child so forget her baby than I would forget my own dear children. And her 
love and tenderness and care for that little baby pales in comparison to my love and care for my children. That's the idea. You evil fathers, come on. Don't we give gifts to our kids on their birthdays and on Christmas and just at spontaneous times? Don't we love to delight our children in different ways? And we're evil. We're fallen. How much more so will God give good things to those who ask? Appreciate what he's saying. Understand the heart of God and let that condition all you're asking, all you're seeking, all you're knocking. He loves to open to you. He loves to give good things to those who ask him. I wonder if you noticed this and that little quote from Don Carson. He says, the child with the kind, gentle, and firm father does not fear to ask him for things. But deep down, he enjoys the assurance that his father will not give him something which greater wisdom and experience assesses as not in the child's best interests. God will define the good things that he gives us. What we all must appreciate by faith is that as the Lord's people, as a child of God, I must know, I must believe that God will withhold nothing from me that would be for my good. He will withhold nothing from me that would be for my good and he will give me nothing that wouldn't. You appreciate that? God will withhold nothing from me that would be for my good. In fact, all things work together for my good, he tells me. He'll withhold Nothing from me that would be for my good and he will send me nothing, give me nothing that wouldn't. Uh, friends, you could talk all you want about Reformed theology. Talk about the sovereignty of God. Read lots of John Calvin. But if you don't feel that down to your bones, I just assume you haven't really worked out your Reformed theology yet. God will send us things that at the level of our intuitions and our feelings seems severely unpleasant. He will withhold things from us. And we'll think, wouldn't that be for my good? I, I want that. What would be wrong with that? I want a good husband. I want a good wife. Lord, we want a baby. I want my father, my mother, to be healed of this disease. Lord, wouldn't that be a good thing? It might be. We don't know. But what you can know is whatever God gives you will be for your good. That includes things that to our intuitions and to our sense seem bad. For this doctrine, the good providence of God for his elect people, it's been like a blanket for my family over the last year. Part of God's good purposes included for us cancer for my wife. God, God knows what he's doing. And we may see a couple of the things that he's doing now. And there'll be 10,000 other things he's doing for us that we never see. And there'll be a million other things he's doing for you. All kinds of other people that I'll, I'll never see. God knows. 
Now listen, this is where this becomes most important. You don't believe a statement like this, that God will what? Withhold nothing from me that would be for my good and he will give me nothing that wouldn't. That requires you to walk by faith and not by sight. That will require you at times to suspend your reason. It will require you at times to suspend your feelings. To believe better than you feel. To believe better than you see. There is a greater and more benevolent providence overseeing my affairs than I could possibly understand. I am God's child. He is my father. Here's this thing. I don't like it. I don't want it. But isn't there a calm and sweet assurance in knowing? My father gave this to me. My father has a plan. My father intends this for my good, and so I will embrace it. If you don't have faith in the underlying goodness of God, there's no way you can do this. No way you could live this way. But if you understand, he is my father. He will do what is right. Though great distress my soul befell, the Lord my God did all things well. Then you could cope, you can live, and you will enter into streams of blessing you didn't know possible. It's my heavenly father will do all things right. He will give me the good things. And I'll keep asking, I'll keep seeking, I'll keep knocking. This is the kind of God we come to. Okay, I close with these words, two words. The first is a very specific application for a particular group of people. I usually will try to give applications that apply to all of us. And this does sort of apply to all of us if we get there. But a particular group of people I want to talk to now. If you're here this morning and you're an older saint, older saint, you say, well, who's an older saint? If the shoe fits, wear it, okay? <laughs> you're here, you've been walking with God for years. You're an older saint. You're in, you've been in the way for some time. One of the blessings of older age for many people is that it means many of the burdens and stresses of life that mark your season in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, are sort of laid aside. Not for everyone, but for many people. Uh, you don't have as many demands on your time. Many people, you know, telling you what to do. Maybe you're retired from your job. Maybe you work part-time now. You just don't have the same demands that you once did. One of the things I want to encourage you in, in this fourth quarter of life, or whatever it is, is to seek God as you've never sought him before. And purpose that the closer I get to the end, I want to be closer to God than I've ever been. I'm going to seek more now. Even as my outer man's wasting away, my inner man will be renewed. I'm going to seek him more now than I ever have. Some of you are in situations now where you don't have your email always barking at you in the way it did when you were working at the office or teaching in the school or whatever it is. Well, don't just busy yourself with lots of stuff. You know, crocheting or golf or whatever. You can do those things, it's fine. But busy yourself with God, too. Read long passages and meditate on it. Go on a walk with a valley of vision, prayer in your mind. 
pray more for the concerns of God's kingdom than maybe you could when you were working those 12, 13, 14 hour days. Slow down and walk with God. You want it to be that as that curtain becomes more and more thin between this life and the next, you see and know God better and better and better. And this, this is what we need you to do for us. My generation, I'm in my 30s, my generation and behind me is one of the most spiritually superficial generations in church history. We need you to show us what seeking God looks like. We need you to show us what treasuring God looks like. Show us what persistent prayer looks like. Show us what righteousness and holiness and a walk with God looks like. Draw us into friendships and relationships and bring us along with you. Show us the way. Teach us how to know God. Teach us how to seek Him and live before us a model, a paradigm that when I'm there, I can say, I know what walking with God in my 60s, my 70s, my 80s looks like. I know that when my body starts wearing down, how I can hope in God. I, I know when some of the typical busy things of life are laid aside, what, what living for the Lord can look like. I want to encourage you more so than ever in your life to seek God with everything in you and to not stop seeking him and to help us follow behind in seeking the Lord. The last thing to say is to anyone here who's been listening to me holler and spit and stammer for the last 45 minutes, thinking, I don't know what this guy's talking about. I don't even know how I got here today. I don't know what's going on here. If you are here this morning and you don't know the Lord, you're not a Christian, you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you may wonder, okay, I appreciate how God the Father treats his children. I appreciate what Jesus is saying. If they seek him, he's saying they'll find him. What if we change the scenario, though? What if it's no longer a Christian, a child of the Heavenly Father coming to him? What if it's a lost sinner? Will I be given access? If I seek, will I find? If I ask God to take me in, will I know the same benevolence, the same largesse of spirit, the same kindness? Oh, friends, the answer is yes. The Lord says, all those who seek me will find me. What should you do? You feel lost, if you've got a long history of sin, you feel you bring an unrighteous record to the table, you feel there's no way I could write my path now, there's no way I could walk the straight and narrow, the things he's talking about, there's no way I could do that. But you know you're lost and you need salvation, you need something, you need forgiveness, you need redemption. Come to Jesus Christ. Come to God in repentance and faith and you'll find the very same heart and posture God's arms are spread wide saying, if you would seek me, today is the day of salvation. I'll have you. I'll receive you. Come to me that your soul may live. And I will have you as my own dear child. And I'll cover every stain of sin, every transgression, every sinful thought, word, and deed. I'll forgive you and I'll have you and you'll be mine and you'll be invited into the kingdom. 
You'll be given the hope of heaven. You'll be given the paradise of God forever, free from all sin, all judgment, all damnation. You will have God as your Father. Jesus Christ is your willing Savior. If you will ask, you will seek, and you will knock. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Oh, well, we thank you. That there's never been a time, never been a time in all of our lives when if we would seek you, you would not be found. You, you've, you've promised everything to us. If we would, but come. You've promised newness of life citizenship in your kingdom. You've promised to make us your own dear children. You've promised to those of us who are your people that they could actually live in righteousness, that they could have purity of heart, that they could live for treasures in heaven. Oh, it's all there for us, Lord. You've made precious promises to us that we would inherit the earth, that we would be given the kingdom, that we would see God, that we would be satisfied, that we would have eternal joy, eternal life, that we would know you as our Father, our Redeemer, and our friend. Lord, please don't allow any of us just to, just to wait off, stand off, failing to experience the fullness of kingdom life that you have for us. Lord, we pray very specifically for anyone here who's struggling to live in the assurance that you're willing to give them, to know you as Father, help them today to know you in this way. For any here who is stagnated and stalled out in their Christian walk, is not walking in holiness as they should, is not experiencing the kind of righteousness that you call us to, that you'll give to us, help them to come to you. Father, if we are not living with an eagle eye to your promises as we should and allowing that to transform all of our lives, help us, Lord, to seek you. For all of us needy sinners here who need salvation, need cleansing, need washing, help us to seek you, to experience what it is you've promised you'd give to us. You'd remember our lawless deeds no more and forgive all of our sins. Help us all to seek you in this service of communion and to find you, to find the gospel, to find salvation, to find the man from Galilee, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen.